Okay, good morning, everyone. In um, <coughs> September of 2013, The Guardian, they produced an article uh, on the six most epic journeys that someone could take. And the six they suggested were these. They said to cross Australia by train, to cross Brazil by truck, crossing Mongolia by horse, sailing around Cape Horn, crossing the Sahara by camel, crossing America by car. There's some pretty epic sounding journeys there. But this morning I want to start by sharing with you about an epic journey that happened a little closer to home. It was uh, earlier this year, it was in October. I was at work and it got into the afternoon. I'd been in the office all day and I don't know if you've ever experienced this. If you've just been sat in one room for a number of hours, you can just lose kind of inspiration and just feel like I can't carry on doing this for much longer. And I thought, I just need to get out. I need to go for a walk. I need to just be able to get some fresh air and clear my head, hopefully find some inspiration um, and that sort of thing. So I set off on my walk and I had the intention, if, if you know Fabian well, I was going to uh, walk up. Uh, towards Whitstable Road, end of town, to go past the sewage works. Doesn't sound like the nicest place for a walk, but if you go past the sewage works, there's a little bridge uh, that takes you over um, a, a small uh, stream, and then you can go right down and join the Saxon Shore Way along the creek and walk back along the creek and into town. And that was my intention. I thought, going to do that, uh, be good for me, I'd clear my head, get a bit of exercise as well, uh, look after myself in that way. As I walk past, but as I walk past the sewage works, uh, across the bridge and I started to walk down towards the creek, what I saw in front of me were there were some, these two huge diggers, big diggers and a load of uh, really um, heavy machinery, uh, lots of dump trucks and that sort of thing. And it turns out what they're doing down there is they're repairing the sluice gate uh, and as I approached, uh, they very kindly, uh, they, did, they moved out of the way, not just for me, but it just so happened uh, as they moved, they let me cross safely and I looked, I went to turn left to walk back towards town and it was completely blocked off. There was no way I was getting through. So I looked to my right and I thought, okay, it's not the direction that I should be going, but I'm going to head down here. I'm going to see uh, if I can kind of get back on track a bit further down the way. As I carried on walking, I was then met by about 20 uh, signs saying things like caution, construction, uh, construction ahead, and many of these signs that had uh, words like diversion or footpath diversion and showing me the way which I needed to go on my diverted route. I looked at the way the arrow was pointing on the sign and I thought to myself, well, what's the worst that can happen? And uh, experience has now taught me never to ask that question because it never, ever has a good answer. So I set off in the direction the arrow showed me. I trusted the arrow, wasn't sure where I was going to end up, but I trusted it to see me right, to set me off in the right direction. So I followed the diversion, the way that the arrow told me to go. I searched for signs of civilization, somewhere to find my bearings so I could get some sense of where I was. And then I emerged, engraved me. This was quite some diversion. You see, I'd originally planned for a nice walk around the creek, maybe about three, three and a half miles, something that should take around the hour mark, long enough to clear my head, get some exercise, do myself some good. But my hour long, three and a half mile walk ended up being a near four hour, ten and a half mile voyage. That was some diversion. It was not at all the route that I'd intended to take when I set out or where I thought I would end up. 
I'd had a, I'd, uh, I'd had a drink before I left. Not a, not a drink. I'd had like some water before I left, before, before I set out. Uh, but I hadn't thought to take anything with me. I thought I'll be back within the hour. So by the time I got back, I was thirsty, I was hungry, I was pretty well worn out from my exploits. So why am I sharing this? Well, that day, when I'd been in the office working, what I'd been giving my, my, my time to, what I'd been giving my attention to, was thinking about the next preaching series, which is the one that we're going to be starting today. And in all honesty, I felt like I just had complete kind of a mental block, I just wasn't getting anywhere with it. I had not really much inspiration, uh, I had lots of distractions, I had emails, I had Twitter, and there's just a load of noise and stuff going on, and it was just really hard for me to focus and, and keep my attention and to come up with some ideas about what we should be looking at in this next series. I felt like I was getting nowhere. So I thought, I'm going to go out, I'm going to clear my head, I'm going to get away from email, I'm going to get away from Twitter, I'm going to give some time to prayer. And I'm going to get myself in a place of quiet, a place of solitude, where I can hear from God. And just to hear his inspiration, hear his leading and his prompting on what we should be doing as a church. So I went on this walk. I'd had a really good time praying and just seeking God, feeling like I was getting somewhere. I'd come up with an idea for the Christmas service, which was excellent. And I was like really pleased about that, but still not sure what we should do with this next teaching series. But then when I reached the construction works and I saw the diversion signs, I felt God say to me that, you know, sometimes life can feel a bit like this. We can set out with plans and ideas of where we're going. We think we can have the next few months or years planned in our minds. We can have hopes and dreams about what our life is going to look like, about where our life is heading. And then circumstances can change or something can happen, whether it's a decision we make ourselves or whether it's kind of something outside of our control that seems to divert us away that we thought, planned or hoped our lives would go. And we can end up on a path or heading in a direction that we hadn't envisaged, something that we weren't prepared for. I know for myself, this has definitely happened to me. I feel like I know where I'm going and something has happened that just makes me think, actually, where, what's going on? Where am I going to end up? And what do these diversions in, in our lives look like? I think they can be things like the loss of a job. Not something that we were necessarily planning or preparing for, but circumstances like that outside of our control. It can be hurtful or destructive actions of other people, things that people would do to us. It can be sickness. It can be loss and grief. The breakdown of relationships. Disappointments. Things that just seem to divert us away from the way we thought our life was going. And I honestly think this is something that many, if not all of us, can relate to in some way. And what I felt God really impress upon me is that this is the situation that a lot of us are in at the moment. That many of us find ourselves in presently. You see, I set out on my walk to get some inspiration for a preaching series. And what God did was he literally took me on a journey that inspired a new series and a new series that we're starting today. So I came back from my epic voyage with an idea of kind of the focus, the topic for this series. But I still had to think of a way of how to, how to structure it, kind of what framework to do, what's the best place to go in the Bible to kind of uh, 
to, to set the structure for this series. And again, this was, felt like a bit of a battle. I wasn't quite sure where to go with it. And I had a few ideas, but the more I looked into them, the more I thought it wasn't quite the right way. And then I was reminded of Joseph. You know Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? Or Joseph, whose story that we're told in Genesis 37 to 50. You see, in Joseph, we see a young man who seems to be hit, his life just seems to be hit by trial after trial, difficulty after difficulty, diversion after diversion. It seems like his life is going in one direction, then something happens. Normally something that's outside of his control, and his life just seems to take a completely different direction and a completely different course, and that just seems to be the pattern that we see throughout his life. And this series, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at Joseph's story. We're going to be looking at his journey and we're going to be going on that journey with him. And as we go on the journey, we're going to look and look to and learn about his character and his attitude. We want to look at his attitude towards these diversions. So it's the way his attitude and the way he approaches these diversions, but also the way that God works through him and the way that God works for him through these things. You know, my walk, it was, it was a diversion. It was about four hours and ten and a half miles, but the part of Joseph's journey we'll be looking at covers around 40 years of these diversions. 40 years. And also sees him end up 250 miles away from home as the crow flies. 250 miles away, perhaps from where he thought his life was going to be, and he ends up in a foreign land. The, uh, the title that we've given this series is Joseph. God's diverted dreamer. Joseph, he was God's diverted dreamer. If you've got your Bibles, if you can turn to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to head there in a while. We're going to get straight into the story of Joseph. We're going to, going to meet the guy and get to, to understand a little bit of where his story started out. But at the outset, what I want to do is to clarify a few things to help us in, in setting our expectations in terms of the purpose of this series. So we're all kind of setting out on the same page with the same outlook of what we can expect to, to get out of this series and what we're going to be looking at over these next few weeks. The first thing I want to clarify is that we're not going to be asking why these things happen. Okay, we're not going to be asking the why questions, why we face these trials and diversions. I know that there are definitely different parts of the Bible that do address this in terms of why we, we go through trials, why we go through sufferings, why life doesn't always uh, happen the way that, that we would plan but I really felt that actually instead what the focus of this series will be is that we want to look at when these things happen, when these diversions in life happens, when things aren't going the way that we expected them to do how do we navigate our way through them in a godly manner with a godly attitude we're going to be asking what can we learn from Joseph and his story that's going to encourage us and enable us to handle ourselves and our situations well because actually when we look at Joseph and the way he handled himself, he handled himself really very well and he navigates his way through these difficulties amazingly well, really. So that's going to be the focus. Not so much the why these things happen, but when these things happen. How do we handle ourselves well? How do we navigate ourselves well? The second thing to clarify is you are not Joseph. Okay, you're not Joseph. This might seem like a really obvious thing to say but it's very important that we understand that you see his story is his story your story 
is yours. And it would be wrong for us to try and come up with a sort of a one-size-fits-all solution to this problem. If we're trying to find that, I think we'll actually be a bit disappointed. If we're just trying to find it, say, this one-size-fits-all one solution that is, is suitable for us all. What I mean is that we all have different stories and we all have different experiences. Someone might have lost their job. Someone else is experiencing sickness. Someone else, the breakdown of a relationship. And the challenges that Joseph faced may be very different to the challenges and diversions that you're facing in your life at the moment. The reason being it's because his story is his story and your story is yours. But even though the circumstances may be different, even though the situations that Joseph faced may, may be different to yours, we don't just discount what happened to him and say it's not relevant to us. There's nothing we can learn from this. While we don't want to kind of take things too far and try and just make neat lessons that aren't there, things for us to learn that aren't necessary there, we can actually look to Joseph as an example because there are principles and attitudes that he displays Things that he teaches us that we can take and apply to our own lives and apply to our own situation. So if as we're going through this journey with Joseph, you think, okay, well, that's good for Joseph. But actually, this isn't really where I'm at in my situation. Kind of look beyond that and think, actually, is there something in Joseph's attitude, something in his approach, something that we learn about the way that God handles him or deals with him that actually we can take hold of? Because this is a really rich story full of an awful lot of excellent examples and principles that we can take hold of. And then thirdly, we're going to be focusing on Joseph as an example. But Joseph was just a man. He was just a human like us. So he was not perfect. He was prone to the same temptations as we were, to face the same difficulties as we would. He would have experienced the same emotions as we would. But we can look to him as an example, definitely. And we can learn from him. But we're also going to see God working things through for him. Where Joseph was fallible like us, where he was flawed like us, actually, we're going to, as we read through Joseph's story, we'll see aspects of God's nature and character being revealed. But these are aspects, this, this is character and nature that is not subject to change. It is not subject to, to, to sway and depending on what the circumstances are. God's nature and character are true and stand firm. Malachi 3 verse 6 begins, for I the Lord do not change. It's a declaration that God makes. I do not change. Then in James 1, 17, it says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Again, this truth that there is nothing about God that shifts or changes. You see, God, who was with Joseph, as we go on this journey with, with Joseph and we see these aspects of God's nature and character being revealed, God who was with Joseph is with us today. God who is with us today. Anything we see of God's nature in Joseph's story is true of God today. So the way that God worked through Joseph's situation, we can be expectant that God will, will work through our situations as well, although not necessarily in exactly the same way as he did in Joseph's. These aspects of his nature and character are still true. Okay. Should we start this journey then with Joseph? So let's uh, start at chapter 37. Hopefully you're there. If you're sitting next to someone who hasn't got a Bible with them, be kind and offer to share yours with them. Let's not be selfish 
with our Bibles and see if they want to read with you. So let's start uh, from verse 1 of chapter 37. So Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilah and Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his, of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colours. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all, all the brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to the brothers, and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? <coughs> Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. <coughs> okay, so we have Joseph. Joseph was the son of Jacob and Rachel. Rachel, his mother, actually she died in childbirth with Joseph's younger brother. He was one of 12 sons and man was he his father's favourite. Absolutely with his father's favourite. Actually reminds me, I need to ask my dad something later on about favourites. We'll see. No. No. I don't know what that means. This did not go down well at all with his brothers. The fact that Joseph was so obviously Jacob's favourite did not go down well at all. And at the start of, of Joseph's journey, as we're joining him this morning, he's a 17-year-old shepherd's boy who just seems to manage to rub his brothers up the wrong way. He's that brother that tells tales. When his brothers are doing something wrong, he goes straight to his dad and lets him know exactly what's going on. He is not a popular boy. But God reveals to 17-year-old Joseph something of his plans and his purposes for him in the former dreams. Often, particularly in the New Testament, when, when, God, when people have dreams, it's God revealing something to them. He's revealing something of what's going to happen in the future, something of his plans, something of his purposes to them. And this is exactly what Joseph experience, experiences with these two dreams. And in these dreams, what God shows Joseph is that he will rule over his brothers. That there's an expectation that there's going to be a time when Joseph will exercise authority over the rest of his family. For Joseph, he has an end point in mind. He has like this destination in the purposes of God. There's this promise that's going to be fulfilled that God has revealed to him. One day, his family would bow before him. He would be in a position of authority. That is what God revealed to him in his dreams. That was God's plan and purpose for him. And Joseph had this set in his mind. This is where God is going to have me. This is what God is going to do with my life. Like he had this destination in mind. I think Joseph 
perhaps is a little bit unwise in that it seems like as soon as he has these dreams, he just goes straight away to his brothers and to his father. And it's like he just can't wait to let them know what God's got planned. And it stirs up jealousy among his brothers. Remember, he was not popular already. And just the hatred that they had for him just grew and grew even more. And you can almost just imagine him standing there telling them exactly what's going to happen. Just this resentment and hatred building up among his brothers. You see, I look at this, I think there's probably a bit of immaturity in Joseph in the way that he just straight away couldn't wait to let his brothers know what was going to happen. Maybe a bit of pride rising up that he just wanted to, to let them know about. So I do think there was perhaps a bit of immaturity going on there. But in spite of the apparent immaturity, to me, Joseph appears to be a young man who is very confident in what God has showed him. A man who is really confident in the promise that God has given to him. It's like God's revealed his plans to him and Joseph's just grabbed hold of it with both hands and said, yeah, this is what's going to happen. God has put a call on Joseph's, Joseph's life and Joseph has taken hold of it. You know, as a church, we believe that God speaks to us uh, through prophecy, God revealing his heart to his people. And I know that for some of us as individuals, we've got things that God has spoken over us, promises that God has, has given to us, things that we're expectant of, things that we're holding on to. God has said, he's going to do this in my life. This is where God is going to move me. This is what God is going to do with me, through me and for me. And we, we take hold of those things, take hold of those promises. And as a church as well, we've had prophecies and promises spoken over us. A few years ago, I think it was Sue Collins when she was here, she had a prophecy about shaking off kind of this little church mentality, not just thinking we're a small church, but God's going to do some big things through us and to lose that kind of small church mentality. Chris Wilmot, uh, had a prophecy a while ago that Lou actually reminded us of last week about how God is changing us from being a cruise ship into a, into a battleship, that we're going through a time of preparation, getting ready for whatever's going to come our way, uh, that we are in a spiritual battle, but God is preparing us for that and he's working in us in that. It's another promise that God has made to us about his plans and purposes for us. On Friday evening at the Enough Half Night of Prayer, someone from another church came up and and shared something of an encouragement with me as well. He said that as it, when we look at church, we can sometimes feel like we've put in a lot of hard work, a lot of time, a lot of effort, but all we see is like a young sapling tree, and we just can't work out how that's the case when we know how much we've put into it. And he said even though that might be what we see, what we don't necessarily see is what's going on underground, and how God is strengthening us and putting down some really strong roots and strong foundations. That the kind of the effort and the work, if, if we want to put it that way, that we've put in hasn't been in vain. That God's doing something that we might not yet be able to see, but it is vital and absolutely essential for what he wants to do for us. These are promises of God and his purposes that he reveals to us. And when I hear things like that, you know, it stirs me up and it keeps me encouraged. Particularly when I can feel discouraged by, by circumstances and, and um, 
situations where I've, I'm not quite sure what God's doing or where things are going and I hear some, something like that and it just stirs my soul and it just gives me an extra confidence to think I might not know exactly what's going on but God knows exactly what is happening. You know, we too, like Joseph, we might be standing with the promises and purposes of God in our lives, corporately and individually as well. We've got God-given dreams where we've got a destination in mind, somewhere where we think, yeah, that's where God is, is, is taking, taking me, that's where God is taking us, but we're not always sure of how we're going to get there. I remember a situation in my life where I just, I absolutely know I thought my life was going in one direction and then something happened that pretty much just turned it right around. And I think I've shared it before, but I want to share it again. When I came out of university, I had an accounting degree. Uh, I started working for a firm in Canterbury, an accounting firm, and I was getting ready to, to sign on to do a training contract to become a certified accountant, so to commit for a few years to work for the company. I went to a, a youth event, um, New Day, and I was listening to a guy called Simon Gilbo. He works out in Burundi with the church at Burundi. And he said, he said that Jesus didn't die just so that we, we could live a comfortable middle-class life. That's not the reason why Jesus came, so that we could, just so we could live a comfortable middle-class life. Please hear what, I'm, hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a career or have money, but what, the thing he said that impacted me was that is not the only reason why Jesus came and why Jesus died. And for me, I needed to hear that in that moment. You see, what God did in that moment was he shifted my mentality from myself. I had plans about how I wanted my career to go, the sort of money I wanted to earn, the sort of life I wanted to have, and things I would have been able to buy. And he shifted my mentality from myself, and he shifted it onto his kingdom to think, actually, what is it that God wants for me rather than what I've set up in my mind as the way I saw my life going. And it completely changed my life. Within a week, I'd handed in my notice and I was given a year to work for the church to give that opportunity for God to just show me, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do? It doesn't mean I haven't faced more trials or more diversions. Believe me, I've had plenty of other times where things haven't worked out quite as I'd expected. But my priority and my outlook has shifted. So now it's not just about, okay, what are my plans for my life so that I'm comfortable and I've got a pleasant life, but it's like, actually, what is it that God wants me to be doing? How can I serve his kingdom first and foremost? But that was a lesson I had to learn. You know, last week, we were tying up our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and Mike was sharing with us about anxiety, about Jesus' call for us not to be anxious, not to worry about what tomorrow might bring. And we're in Matthew 6, and in Matthew 6, 31 to 33, it says, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you will need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's what our real focus was on last week. And then the week before, Paul Johnson was, uh, was speaking. He was saying how we're not called to lay up for ourselves treasures on earth and how we can't serve two masters we can't serve two kingdoms because you'll end up loving one and despising the other so again this principle that's coming through this truth of we have to be fixed on seeking first God's kingdom 
not getting caught between, okay, serving God's kingdom, but also uh, trying to serve other things. You see, you might not have had a prophecy or an individual promise from God. You might not have, you, you might be sitting here thinking, actually, I've never had someone come and prophesy to me. But what I read from Matthew is a prom- there's a promise in there. And it's a promise for all of us. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his rule and reign. Seek to be obedient to him and to serve him. And everything else that you need, that your father knows that you need, will be given to you. There's a promise there. If you seek first the kingdom, your father in heaven will give you everything else that you need in his wisdom. And this is linked to another promise. Again, a promise for all of us, not just one or two. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life there's a promise there there's a promise of eternal life and eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent means that we can live in the kingdom of God under his rule as king we can seek first the kingdom only because Jesus has provided us a way to become citizens of that kingdom but there's a promise there now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to step on the toes of the other guys who are preaching in this series and leave them with nothing else to say. But I want to say from the outset that Joseph was someone who kept seeking God, whatever diversion occurred. He sought God first. And as his journey continues, what we'll see is him growing and maturing, seeking first God's rule and reign. That's something that, that we'll see. And I wanted to just state that at the very outset of this series. That when these diversions came, for Joseph it was always, okay, whatever is going on, I'm going to seek God first. First and foremost. Going to be bringing things to a close in just a moment. But at this point in Joseph's story, he's carrying the call and promise of God on his life. It's what we've just been looking at. He's got this call and this promise of God on his life. This morning... Faversham Community Church, we're carrying promises that God has spoken over us. While some of us have got specific uh, prophecies and promises that we're carrying, we are all promised that if we seek first the kingdom, God will provide everything that we need. Whatever else is going on around us, whatever uncertainty we face, whatever detours our lives seem to take. At this point... In Joseph's story, he is about to experience his first diversion, where life is going to go somewhere he wouldn't have thought or hoped. And next week, we're going to see where that diversion leads. And we're going to look, as I say, about Joseph's attitude, the way that Joseph approached these circumstances and situations that he finds himself thrown into. But as we journey with Joseph over these next few weeks, let us look and learn from his example But let let us also recognise God's timeless, unchanging nature. Because the God who was with Joseph is the same God that we know. The same God that has called us into relationship and fellowship with him. So can the band come up? We're going to move back into a, a time of worship. Can we stand? Let's prepare ourselves and ready ourselves for God.